This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Searchwide Global, the premier executive search firm in the DMO space. Mike Gamble and his team uncover the talent out there that isn't looking, meaning the clients get a far richer candidate base from which to choose than just placing ads in publications and online. And their client satisfaction rate across multiple metrics, 98%. If you're looking for a new opportunity or looking for the perfect candidate, call them. You can learn more at searchwideglobal.com. And now it's on to our show. Our guest today is Adam Stoker, co-founder and CEO of Relic, a full-service ad agency specializing in marketing for tourism destinations. He is also the host of the weekly Destination Marketing Podcast, where he has interviewed over 60 DMO pros from state travel directors to small destination marketing directors from around the world. And he has just released his first book, Touchpoints, the Destination Marketer's Guide to Brand Evaluation and Enhancement, which I picked up last weekend and simply couldn't put down. Adam Stoker, welcome to DMOU. Bill, thank you so much for having me. It is a huge honor to be on your show, and, and I'm just grateful to come and share a little bit and kind of talk about the industry with you today. Yeah, well, first off, thank you and congratulations. Thank you because you asked me to be a guest on one of your podcasts before the whole COVID thing turned our world upside down. I haven't gone back to listen to it since, as we call it, the vid hit, but I hope hopefully yeah. some of the conversation is still relevant. More importantly, Congratulations on the book. Having written a couple, I know what an undertaking it is, and I thoroughly enjoyed touch points. About a third of the way through, I remember thinking, this is my brother from another mother. I, it, honestly, I, <laughs> and maybe that's why I enjoyed it so much, because we are simpatico on almost everything except for your view about radio. But that's because I used to program rock radio stations in Chicago. So, <laughs> got it, <laughs> got it. Well, you know, Bill, it, it's funny because as, as I got into the industry over the years, I would talk to different destinations, and I kept hearing your name, but people would refer to you without explaining who you were, and they would just say, "Oh, yeah, Bill Geist says this, and Bill Geist says that." And you thought it was that guy on CBS, right? <laughs> no, I, I actually, uh, I, I didn't have any frame of reference. I was like, I got to find out who this guy is. And, and I found your podcast and started listening. And I said, I have got to have Bill on the show. And to this day, it's one of our best performing episodes because when you speak, people listen. And, and, and that's one well, of the reasons you. it's such an honor to be here today. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. And, and honestly, before we get to your three questions and bonus round, that's a great question. How did you find destination marketing? I mean, that's what you do. And I don't think you went to school to become a marketer for destination marketing. How did you discover us? Yeah, you know, it, it's a funny story. And, and I always ask that question on my show, too. And I, I love the, the variety of answers that you get. And for me, it was it was my job was sales for a small advertising agency based in St. George, Utah. There was three of us when I started there. And like I said, my job was to bring in new business. And I drove by the Cedar City, Utah Tourism Board. Uh, it's actually called the Cedar City Brian Head Tourism Board. And I thought, man, they might have a marketing budget. I should go talk to them. <laughs> and and I walk in the door and I said, hey, do you guys need some help with your marketing? And it just so happened. It's, it's one of those events that is kind of pivotal in a career that you don't realize at the time. They were. They were in need of some help, and they had actually been thinking about calling an ad agency. And so from that point, we got exposed to the industry, and I knew 
from that moment that I was in love <laughs> as far as the industry goes, because the relationship yep. that I was able to build with my friend Maria, that tourism office, uh, along with several of the referrals that we got from her to other destinations. And now from what it's grown to today, it was one of those moments that you just don't realize how important it is in your life. Yeah. And it, honestly, the same thing happened to me, uh, you know, after a career, short career, but after a career in broadcast media, you know, I stumbled into my, this job in this thing called a destination marketing organization. And I mean, I knew, I knew marketing, but I certainly didn't know destination marketing. And like you, within a couple of months, I knew I was home. Right. Right. So it, boy, this industry gets you and just, it will never let go. Well, and who doesn't love to travel? Who doesn't love to see all these amazing destinations and then the people within it? I, yeah, it's, how could you not love it? Yep, that is a perk, right? All right, question number one. We're going to get to the new book, but for your first question, I want to focus on your podcast. We both started our podcasts really not knowing the other one was out there. We've taken two different tacks. I have focused primarily on the management of DMOs, and you generally skew marketing. It's, you know, it's where our cores both are. You know, I'm, I'm right. the management guy. You're the marketing guy. Tell me about the genesis of the Destination Marketing Podcast and what you've learned by talking with some of the smaller destination marketing directors. What's working out there that really inspires you? Yeah, you know, for me, as I, you know, worked with the first destination back in 2012, and then as we took on more and more, I kept seeing the same challenges, the same questions, uh, the same problems as far as marketing goes, and even some of the same mistakes with some of the destinations that we would we would work with. And as I started to talk to so many different people, I realized, hey, a lot of these problems you know, it's, it's industry-wide, not just with the people I've talked to. And so I said, what if we created a resource that is, is a podcast that allows people to hear, A, some of the solutions to the, to the challenges that are in the industry, but also some of the creativity and innovation that's happening in marketing so that we don't have that issue of, you know, you could look at 10 different ads and change out the logo and it could be the same destination or it could be, yeah. I just feel like a lot of destination marketing looks the same until you really start diving into that creativity and innovation. And we wanted to help with that. And, and it was actually, we just hit our year mark uh, last month, our first episode released in May of 2019. And it's wow. just been such a fun ride. I've met some of the most amazing people uh, I've met in my life through the podcast and having them on the show. This might be the theme of the episode. I don't know, but just building these amazing relationships. And, and I'm so glad I did it. I mean, it's it's a game changer. And we're having a blast with it. So tell us some of the the really cool episodes. Uh, not, you know, all of our children are good looking. So, you know, I, I, I don't <laughs> want anybody to be offended. But what were some of those breakthrough moments that you heard as you interviewed up to 60 different individuals. There's been so many, and you're right, it's so hard to, to pick a favorite, but I, I was able to think through and, and kind of come up with a, with a couple as I prepared for today's conversation. The first one, I actually mentioned it in my book, which we'll get to. One of my clients, I had her on, she was one of my early episodes, her name's Fallon Owens, and she's in the Garfield County, Utah Tourism Office. It's also known as Bryce Canyon Country. Yep. And when I chatted with her, she talked about the realization that she had when she she started in the industry as actually a waitress and people would ask her what there is to do there and she would answer and she's answering from her perspective and she would say well there's nothing to do here right yeah because <laughs> because there weren't a lot of social opportunities uh -huh. in this rural community 
And then when she got her job as the executive director of the of the tourism office, she said, oh, no, <laughs> she, she said, I've been doing this wrong. And, and it made her realize that she needed to create a stakeholder training centered around improving the customer experience so that service employees within the destination understand how to respond to some of those questions. They just don't know. They, they don't know how they need to respond unless they're trained on that. And she was able to use that experience of her own and create a stakeholder training of how to respond to questions, which in the end improves her brand. So that was a fun one just to hear kind of her perspective on being on both sides of the industry. And then two of my favorites, and this is a campaign, I'm in the, the target audience, and so it really hits home with me. This is the state of Idaho's 18 Summers campaign. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Bill. It is one of the most amazing tourism campaigns I've seen. I spoke with Matt Baroud from their office, and he talked about how the insight that they came up with is that their main core audience was families. And they realized that families, when, when you're talking to parents, one of the parents' biggest concerns is that the time goes by so fast with their kids. Their kids are there for 18 years, and then they're gone. They're off to college. They get married. They do their thing. And right. so they came up with this campaign that basically says, you've got 18 summers to create memories, and then it's over, and then it's gone. And I haven't had many advertising campaigns bring a tear to my eye or cause me to be emotional. I usually only cry during Disney movies. But when I was watching this 18 summers campaign from the state of Idaho, I said, I've got to be a better parent. And man, if you can cause someone to look inward with an advertising campaign, you have absolutely succeeded. That sounds very similar. And I'm sure that this is not a, I mean, they're not ripping Michigan off. But it really sounds a lot like the Pure Michigan ad from the very first year of that campaign where Tim Allen intones, we humans are given 25,000 sunrises. Shouldn't some of them be Pure Michigan? And it's like just, you know, arrow to the heart, shunk. And you go, wow. Yep. Same thing. I got, I got to do better. I, I got to focus on what's important. I got to focus on family. So those are some of the, the best tourism ads where you can ev evoke that kind of of emotion. Yeah, there's different levels of connection that you reach in advertising, right? The first level is really just a, oh, that's interesting, right? And I feel like lots of campaigns do that. Lots of campaigns get to that first level. But if you can get to that second level where you cause someone to actually think about, do I need to change something in my behavior or my life that's a real emotional connection. And that, that second level is much more kind of the white whale difficult to get to. The Pure Michigan campaign did it. The Idaho Tourism campaign did it. Another one that I wanted to tell you about, and I'll be fairly quick with this one, is I love what John Ricks from Nebraska talked about when he came on the show. Yeah. It's so authentic. Yep. And it, it turns some people off, but the people that it turns off weren't going to go there anyway. And so they say, Nebraska, it's not for everyone, yeah. is the tagline. And, and the copywriting in their campaign is just brilliant. But one of my favorite things that they say is, we have found the only boring people get bored. <laughs> and, and so immediately you kind of want to defend yourself a little bit. And say, well, I'm not boring. Maybe I should try Nebraska, you know? Perfect. And I thought they did such a good job of embracing who they are. They are not Hawaii and, and Nebraska will never be Hawaii, but there are some amazing things to do in Nebraska. Yeah. And they really leaned into 
who wants to do the type of activities we have here? Let's tailor the entire campaign to them. Yeah. And, you know, interestingly, it also, you know, kind of a, a subliminal way, almost makes Nebraska like a secret club. It's not for everybody. Bingo. It's, it, but it should be for you. And frankly, if there's not a lot of people there in a post-COVID world, I'm even more interested in going to Nebraska. So You're exactly right. Yeah, John played that extremely well. So let's get over to the book, Touch Points. You had me at page one when you said, by controlling the touch points that a destination has the ability to control, the non-controllable touch points are more easily predicted and even managed. Tell us how that works for a DMO. Yeah, you know, Bill, the whole premise of the book for me, and this definition doesn't come from me. It comes from, I was sitting in the Utah Tourism Conference in 2013, and Tom Love, who's a titan of the Utah advertising industry and, and has been a very powerful part of the very successful Utah Mighty Five campaign that they've had over the last several years here, you know, Tom stood up and he was giving a breakout session and he said, a brand is the sum of all of the touch points that a destination has with the outside world. And, you know, I understood what a brand was and, and had read many definitions. This was the most simple, easy, and I would say actionable definition that I've ever heard. And the reason I say that is that when you divide it up into touch points, you can see exactly what you need to, to do to improve your brand by examining each of your touch points. And so I wanted to, A, take all the content because of the amazing people that I've talked to and interviewed on the Destination Marketing Podcast and curate it into a comprehensive guide for destinations to do exactly that, to evaluate their touch points and improve their brand. And going into the controllable and non-controllable touch points, you know, there are a finite number of touch points that you have with the outside world that you can control. That's your visual brand, which so many people make the mistake of thinking their brand is just your logo, tagline, and visual, right? Yeah, but there's right. so much more to a brand than that. That's just one touch point. So there's visual touch point. Then there's you know public relations. What does the media say about you is a touch point. And within that, each article that's written about you is a touch point. Social media posts, every single social media post is a touch point. Mm -hmm. uh, and so all of those are controllable, meaning you are telling the story. Now, if you didn't provide the press release and somebody wrote the story independent of you, that would then become a non-controllable touch point. Another non-controllable touch point would be word of mouth. What do people say about your destination after they leave? And my hypothesis that you're referring to in that, in that page one of the book is that if I do a great job in making sure that every touch point that I have control over is dialed in and is enhancing my brand and creating a great perception of my destination, then when somebody leaves and talks about my destination or when a journalist writes about my destination, those are just two examples of non-controllable touch points, my hypothesis is that those are going to be positive touch points if you've done a good job with the controllable touch points. And that's what I go through in the book. The thing that I love about my book, and you know, obviously I'm biased because I wrote it, but the thing <laughs> that I love about my book is that at the end of every touch point chapter, there is a worksheet that a destination can fill out. And the idea is to first identify a letter grade, A, B, C, D, F, right? And then after you've assigned a grade, 
you describe why you gave it that grade, who needs to be involved to solve the problem. So for example, if our dining experience is a touch point that needs to be improved, I probably ought to get my dining stakeholders involved in that discussion, right? So then I schedule the meeting for the kickoff date. And then on number five, I put what's the plan of action. And if you're doing this worksheet on each touch point every year, within two years, you could have a brand that is exponentially better than where it currently is today. It's a fascinating thought to be able to control the controllable. And by doing so, you influence the uncontrollable. Because if they do have the great experience, that means that the post-visit posts will be positive or more positive than they would have been if you had just let it be organic, that, that experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, th- I think, you know, a lot of people get so caught up when they see a bad review and they're like, man, what can we do? How do we respond to that review? And it's absolutely important that you address something like that. But I would argue that focusing on the cause of that negative review and improving that touch point will have a far greater impact than you addressing that specific review in a response online or something like that. You know, you also talk in the book about persona marketing as a way to take a limited marketing budget, which let's be really clear, most of us have relative to last year. Especially now. uh, And make that marketing budget go a lot further. Explain the concept of persona marketing. Yeah, so what I mean by that, when I talk about personas, marketing is as simple, Bill, as getting the right message to the right people at the right time. And the real mistake that a lot of people make is the fun part of advertising is the creative, right? Coming up with that messaging, the campaign, the visual, all that kind of stuff, that's fun. And everybody likes to brainstorm and come up with ideas. But the problem is if you haven't dialed in who the right people are, your message doesn't matter and you can't be sure that it will connect to the right person. And so when I talk about building personas, what I mean by that is creating literally a visual using a photo and then having a detailed description of both demographics and psychographics of your target audience and giving them a name. So I'll give you an example. I met with Galveston, Texas over the last couple of years, a couple of times, and they've done a great job building personas. One of their personas name is Zach and Zoe. And so everybody in their organization, when they talk about Zach and Zoe, they know that it's that young traveler, young couples that are looking for a fun, quick getaway. And everyone in the organization is on the same page about who they're marketing to, who they're trying to attract to the destination. And so if you're a destination and you've got, hey, one of our audiences is families, I would challenge you to dial that in a little bit farther to this is John and Susie and they have three kids and they make $65,000 a year combined and they travel one time per year with the kids, one time per year without the kids. And these are the types of experiences they want to have. I would really try to dial those in to a person that you can describe. And I have the philosophy of market to few, sell to many. And that means that you're going to tailor your marketing to that finite group of people, that that target persona mm-hmm. that you've created. And yes, you're going to get visitors outside of that persona. But the best way to eliminate waste is if I'm going to the watering holes that just that target audience is at, and then I'm putting a message out there that's most likely to convince them to come to our destination. And then I hope that there's going to be spillover into other audiences. But I'm not going to try to market to everybody and waste my money 
on audiences that are much less likely to book a trip, even if there is a segment that comes, the ideal situation is to focus your budget on your primary, secondary, and very few destinations have enough budget to have a separate campaign for that tertiary audience. I, I would say you need two personas, get those dialed in first, and then worry about expanding your message from there. Well, yeah, that's where I wanted to go next with this concept because uh, obviously dependent upon budget and dependent upon destination assets, you, you might only really have two main target markets. But is there a point in time where that number starts to blur the lines? I mean, I remember, geez, this had to have been back 2000, 2002, somewhere in that range where Pennsylvania actually on their website at the time, one of the most advanced state travel websites in the country. And they went with seven personas. And so they said, almost everybody fits in one of these seven buckets. And they, you know, they had a biker, they had a young couple, they had an arts couple, they had seven different personas. And you would self-identify and you'd go down that path. And if you went down the path with the biker, you know, everything online was about, here are the twistiest, turniest, most fun roads to be on. Here are where the great biker bars are. Here's where the great music is. I mean, you know, really digging down into the weekend of, you know, four or five of your friends hopping on your Harleys and going. They had that kind of experience for all seven. Is seven too big? Who would I be to say that they are doing it wrong because they obviously have done a great job with their marketing over the years? But here's what I will say. What you're talking about is, is dynamic content and quickly identifying who is there and making sure that you're showing them the most relevant content to them at the time. And so I love what they did from a concept standpoint. I would be shocked if there's any destination that it makes sense to spend advertising dollars to seven personas. But the idea of having the ability to identify one of seven personas on the website and then show them content that's relevant to them without putting paid advertising dollars behind every single persona. No, I think that's a great idea. It's just where do you allocate your marketing dollars? Because on your website, you can sift through them and show them content that's most relevant to them very inexpensively or for free if you've built the content out. Okay. You know, I know I said three questions in a bonus round, but I'm going to go four. It's your show, Bill. You can do what you want. <laughs> Here's the question. We're all going to be reducing our ad spend and moving more of our resources into online, digital, social, et cetera. When we come back out of this crisis and our budgets begin to grow again, what's the future of paid traditional TV, print, advertising? Yeah. Part of me thinks that the, the cacophony of everybody putting everything into social is just going to get to the point where it's just total overload. And, you know, one of my mentors in this business, her name is Wendy Fisher. She used to run the Rockford, Illinois CBB. And back when the first indications were that Motor Coach was starting to slide as a predominant market, she called me one day and she says, I'm getting out. I'm going to reallocate all this money I'm putting into motor coach into sports tourism. She was one of the very first to identify that that was going to be a big market and she nailed it. And about six years later, she said, yeah, I'm going to get back into motor coach. And I went, why? She goes, because everybody followed my lead here in Illinois and nobody else is in the market. <laughs> so the question is, 
will print traditional TV magazine, that kind of stuff. Will that come back? Or do you think that this is the moment that we're going to really just go all digital? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And I, I've, I've got a couple of answers. I, I think the first one that I'll say is I, I talked about personas and one of the things, the benefits of, of using these personas and marketing specifically to these personas is it's a lot easier to find out where the watering holes are, whether traditional or digital. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and one of the things to figure out about these personas, and I promise this is tying back into the, the answer to your question, but one of the important things to look at in a time like this is that their priorities of why they make purchase decisions have changed. And what I mean by that is, I'll give you an example. I had a chat with Rachel Brown from Durango, Colorado, a couple of weeks ago on the show. As I think about Rachel's destination, there's travelers that were deciding, do I want to go to a place like Durango, Colorado, or do I want to go experience the amazing urban experience that is New York City, right? And at the time, that mm-hmm. urban experience was much more attractive than, depending on the person, but could have been much more attractive to that target audience than the rural Durango, Colorado crowd. Now, today, that same traveler that may have been more attracted to New York may be way more attracted to Durango, Colorado now. Right. And, and so now, as you're looking at your personas, what message is going to drive business more? If I'm Durango, I'm saying wide open spaces, right? Uh, Social distancing is possible here in a creative way. I'm telling you why this experience is going to be a much better experience for you and your family than, than a New York or something like that. Now, when you get to the media side of this, and, and we talk about dialing in those personas, I don't think that traditional media is dead. I could talk all day about how I feel like print as an industry's business model is flawed. They've got to figure that out, but it's not dead. I'll give you a perfect example. Snowbird is a resort here in Utah. They were trying to figure out how to use this print magazine buy that they had done. It it was their agency that was working on it. And the designer found a one-star review from someone that said the terrain was too hard, couldn't get down the mountain. One-star review. It was a Google review. And they put that review with nothing else. It was just the review, and it had Snowbird's logo on it with a picture of the terrain. And they put that in the print ad, and it got picked up by almost every major media outlet, both locally and nationally. Ad Age ran with it. It was a huge, huge PR impact. And so what I would say is I don't think that medium is going to go away, whether it's print or traditional TV or radio or or anything like that. But the way you have to use them is going to go away. I don't know if you are an Office fan, Bill. Uh, Do you you like the the Office? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so have you been listening to that podcast with the office ladies? I have not. Okay, so you got to check this out. Okay. Uh, in the middle of the episodes now, and they didn't do this in the early episodes. It's later on in the show. But the State Farm Like a Good Neighbor song comes on there. Right. The do-do-do-do-do, you know. And then they say, oh, man, now we need to get you the inside scoop or, the, or get you um, – so, so they'll take a question from the audience and they'll answer it and say, 
now State Farm can also get you the answers that you need. And they move right back into the show. So it's almost like it's the content of the show and not an advertisement. And it's more organic. And that's not what a destination is doing necessarily. On uh, I, I know I'm using a non-destination example, mm-hmm. but they're using this medium. And podcasts aren't the same as like a traditional medium. But the creative is so organic and such a, a new use case. They did the same thing with that Michael Jordan documentary. State Farm did in-episode content that was amazing and it caused you to, mm-hmm. to pay attention when you wouldn't yeah. have before. So the whole point of these descriptions is that traditional media placing a print ad that just has your campaign headline on it, your logo and your contact info, those days are gone. I don't think that works anymore, but coming up with a creative way to use the medium will always, always work. Assuming it's a medium with eyeballs. Now, if you've got a, a magazine that doesn't have a reach, then then obviously you're not going to have much impact. But I would say if you know you're getting the eyeballs or you know you're getting the attention within the persona that you've dialed in and your advertisement is creative enough, you absolutely will get the results you're looking for. All right, great stuff. And again, I can't recommend the book more. Touch Points is out. It's available. Uh, so grab your copy on Amazon.com. So time now for the bonus round. And this is one of those moments that every American kid at one point in time dreams of playing in the Little League World Series, and you did. Tell me about it. I did, and it was the year before the one that was televised, Bill. So I didn't get all the fanfare that that, that all these kids get, you know, where I've or seen the great videos of some of these kids that get their five minutes of fame, you know. But I was in the championship game in Little League when I was 11 years old, and we were playing on the 13-year-old's field, and I hit a home run, and I was the only one in the whole league to hit a home run in that championship game. I would say my stock went up at that point and the the all-star coach called yeah. me uh, after the game and he said hey i need you to play on my all-star team and uh went and and played in the little league world series had an amazing time uh had a lot of fun and and that was great but i'll tell you where i really learned you know you don't learn a ton as a as an 11 year old kid you probably don't have a lot of perspective but for me i took up wrestling when i was a junior in high school and wrestling, that's really where you kind of measure yourself uh, because nobody else is going to help you. It's a team sport in, in that you're, you're playing another school, but when you're out there on that mat, yeah, it's just, just you, you and the other guy. Yeah. Yep. And so my first year when I picked it up, I was, I was on varsity because there was no other guys in my weight class. And so I lost every match, every oh. match <laughs> my junior year. And it was, it was miserable, but I kept pushing. You know, I went some, to some camps in the summertime. And then my senior year, I really kind of turned it around and I ended up taking fourth place in state in the state of Utah. And really that experience taught me, Bill, that with practice and drive and push, you can achieve just about anything. I mean, that experience drives almost all of the things that I try to do today by knowing that if I just work as hard as I can and push it, Regardless of talent, I think I can accomplish just about anything. 
Wow. Great story. Great story. And congratulations. And thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule for this podcast. I mean, that, that you have a weekly schedule plus all of your clients, uh, hardest working man in podcasting. That's got to be you. But thank you for the insights you share for all of us through the Destination Marketing Podcast and now Touch Points, the brand new book out and available on Amazon.com. Hey, Bill, thanks for having me on. Had a great time. Appreciate all you do. This is such an awesome podcast. I learn from it every week and, and look forward to, to hearing more. And we learn from yours as well. Thanks again. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers that this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. Thanks again to our sponsor, Searchwide Global, the premier executive search firm in the DMO space. If you're looking for a new opportunity or looking for the perfect candidate, call them. You can learn more at searchwideglobal.com. DMOPros.com is where you'll find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, our Knowledge Bank, videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as past episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.